I turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'd like you to keep your Bible open to 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'll be giving you a lot of Bible this morning. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 will be used at the end of the message, but if there's any portion of God's Word I want you to get a hold of, it's 2 Timothy chapter 1 that we'll be turning to later on in the message. And if you don't have a uh, sermon uh, study guide, uh, a sermon study guide is the outline of my notes, and you fill in the blank with it. If you don't have one, raise your hand, and the ushers will get one to you. Just keep that hand up as that they pass it out. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. A young couple, a young couple got back from their honeymoon. And sure enough, the mother of the bride called the young bride and said, Honey, how was your honeymoon? And the daughter answered her mom by saying, Oh, mom, the honeymoon was awesome. It was fantastic. It was so romantic and... <laughs> she starts sobbing, start crying. The mom said, Dear, what's wrong? Tell me what's wrong. Oh, mom, as soon as we got back, Billy started using terrible language on me. He said things I, I'd never hoped to hear. All those four-letter words. Please, Mom, get in your car and come and pick me up and, and take me home right now. Mom said to her, Dear, you are home. Now calm down and tell your mother what could be so awful. You need to work through this. Don't be shy. Tell me those four-letter words that Billy used. Please, Mom, I'm too embarrassed to tell you. They're terrible, atrocious words. Just come with the car and, and take me away. Take me home. Darling, you must tell me. You must tell me what the four-letter words were. Still crying, she says, oh, Mom, oh, Mom. Can you imagine? He used words like wash cook, iron, dust. The mother said, I'll be there in 20 minutes. Be ready. <laughs> what does that story all add up to? The honeymoon is... You got it. Hey, tomorrow's Labor Day, and I have never, I have never in my 30 plus years of, uh, of preaching, I have never preached a Labor Day message. And I usually don't want to twist in the wind just because it's a secular holiday and, and apportion God's word to it, unless I hear from God and I've heard from God. I'm preaching on something I've never preached before. I've never touched on this subject ever. And God's given me a Labor Day message. And I'm excited to share it with you. You see, Labor Day is more than the end of uh, summer. It's it's a change of season. There's going to be a new season in your home life after Labor Day. New school year. Uh, a new work year. For us here at Lakeside, uh, a new school year means a new church year. Uh, this begins really our ministry year when school starts, much more so than January the 1st. It's a new season. It's a new start. 
Many, many, despite the, the freshness, the newness of the season we're beginning, many will approach this new time with a miserable, mundane, mediocre mindset. For them, the honeymoon's all over. Starting Tuesday morning, they're viewing life as dull, boring, routine. They dread it. But I want you to know God's got a different plan. God's got a different plan for your school year. God's got a different plan for your home life, your church life, your walk with Him. He doesn't want you to just be going through the motions. He doesn't want you to be coasting. He will not allow you to settle for business as usual. He's got something fresh, new, and exciting for both you and I. You see, He wants to put His fire into your life. That's why I've entitled this word this morning I'm sharing with you. Hey, I'm on fire. Let's pray. Father, give us ears to hear, eyes to see what your spirit is sharing with your church at this hour. In the name of Jesus, amen. Would you fill in our first blank this morning? Mediocrity. What is it? Mediocrity is settling for the status quo, for business as usual. Write it down. For an average or below average life. Mediocrity is half-heartedness. It's the student starting a new school season, content just to coast through your classes, coast through your, your academics, just get passing grades just so you can graduate. It's the worker who at one time was excited about their job. They were passionate about their career, their, their vocation. They, they were passionate about their company's goals, uh, company's vision. But now it's become dull, routine, boring. It's the parent Mediocrity is the parent who dreads another day stuck with the rugrats. Cleaning their clothes, cleaning their dishes, cleaning up their messes after them, cleaning their dirty diapers, clean, clean, clean. Mediocrity. Oh, it comes knocking at the door of so many of our marriages. Mediocre marriages are marriages of convenience. I love telling the story of the elderly husband who is having real difficulty hearing. And his wife was feeling romantic and she leaned over to his ear and said, My love for you is faithful and true. He said, What? I can't hear you. Speak up. My love for you is faithful and true. You know I'm having a hard time hearing. Now what are you trying to say? My love for you is faithful and true. Well, I'm tired of you too. <laughs> is that what you're saying about your marriage? Is that what you're saying about one of the most precious gifts that God has ever placed within your hand? El Boro? Hmm? Maybe at one time you were excited about your marriage, you enjoyed love, you enjoyed romance, you enjoyed passion, but now, 
but now uh, your marriage has become stale, stagnant. Uh, it's hit a love recession. I want you to read some uh, alarming stats that I've come across. Put it on the screen, if you would, for me. The Pew Research Center recently found that 40% of Americans think marriage is becoming obsolete. That's no shock. What's the problem? The culprit is mediocrity. Instead of considering themselves to be happily married, some people are discovering that they're only semi-happy. They're not divorcing, but they're stuck in a semi-happy marriage. And their quest for fulfillment can lead them to extramarital affairs, divorce. A semi-happy marriage is one of low conflict, low passion, low satisfaction. A national survey of more than 3,300 people found that 25% of people are what? Bored in their current monogamous relationship. Another 25% admit to being on the brink of boredom. Boredom is basically like an attack on a relationship's immunity system. It's not a coincidence a fifth of respondents admitted to being unfaithful to their partner as a result of being what? Bored. 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 It's no wonder we're the most unhappy generation of all time. Students, workers, parents, family, and marital partners. Bored. Mediocre. Business as usual. Status quo. Average or below average. We are so unhappy. Though America makes up just 6% of the world's population, we use more than 92% of the world's tranquilizers. We're the most unhappy generation of all time. We will spend any amount of money to buy happiness. We think happiness is in a travel poster. So we go to Hawaii and we find out we're just as sad. Becky and I went to Hawaii with another couple. We didn't know the whole time that they were bragging about their romance, that they were uh, uh, contemplating divorce, which they did do right after Hawaii. Happiness is not found in amusements. Happiness can't be bought or purchased. You can work your fingers to the bone to be happy, and all you'll end up with is bony fingers if you've been with me long enough. Sure. Sure. Yeah. You thought, you thought marrying that guy would make you happy. He thought marrying you would make him happy. And you're both singing the same song, The Impossible Dream. This might be a flash, a news flash for some of you, but uh, uh, <laughs> marriage, <laughs> marriage will not, will not, will not be your source of happiness. And I will come back to that uh, a little bit later on. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Yet the worst mediocrity of all is spiritual mediocrity. Spiritual mediocrity. We can talk about work-related mediocrity, academic mediocrity, relational, but the worst of all is our walk with God. If it's characterized by stale, stagnant, mediocre, mundane, lukewarm, half-hearted, namby-pamby, milk-toast behavior and a mindset, God, help us. Who wants a religion like that? I'm talking about those who used to be faithful to God's house every time that the doors of the church were open. 
Now, I don't, I'm not going to get up on a soapbox on a holiday weekend uh, uh, here this morning, but uh, man, when it's been all summer long, and we take a vacation from God's house all summer long, that uh, aptly describes a mediocre Christian. How, how would you like a refrigerator that worked only, only nine months out of the year? How would you like to uh, drive a car that uh, only worked every other day? Huh? No! <laughs> Useless! Useless! God, God, God has a sour taste in His mouth when it comes to carnal compromising Christians who cop out time and time again and choose to embrace mediocre lifestyles spiritually. People that used to walk with a fervor and a zeal and a passion and want to press into the things of God, but now the only, only, only thing that allows them to raise their hands anymore is when they put their deodorant on. They no longer press into God's presence. They no longer sing like they used to sing. They're afraid. They're afraid that somebody at, at the office will find out they're a Christian. They don't want to make any waves. The boldness, the joy, the testimony, being a light in darkness, it's gone. Oh, they haven't checked out. They haven't checked out on the things of God. Uh, they still love Jesus. They just don't walk as boldly, as joyfully, as victoriously as they used to. No, they make an appointment with your pastor and they sit down with me and I have actually had this question uh, phrased in, in numerous uh, ways. Pastor, pastor, how deep, how far can I go into sin and still have a relationship with God? What does that tell you about their passion for the lover of their soul who was crucified upon a cross because he loved us so much? You hear me in that? These are not my words. These are the words of Jesus. He looked down upon a mediocre, lukewarm, half-hearted church, and he said, I wert that you were hot, or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I spew you out of my mouth. He said to the church of Ephesus, Nevertheless, you have left your first love. Wow. You mean the Lord notices when we lose the passion? The Lord notices when we succumb to a, to a, a half-hearted, lukewarm Christian lifestyle? Yes! You've left. You've left. You've departed from your first love. Spiritual mediocrity. It's the loss of romance and passion for the lover of your soul. But I want you to know that God's got an answer. You want to hear that God's got an answer for our spiritual uh, problem of mediocrity? Because none of us, including your pastor, is exempt uh, from the business-as-usual mindset, the caretaker maintenance mode knocking at my door. None of us are exempt from this. That's why uh, it's an everyday thing to press into all that God has for you. If you remember, what, how did God feed the children of Israel? How did God feed the children of Israel in the wilderness? Tell me, how did God feed them? 
with manna, with angel food cake. It came from heaven. Heaven's food. It rained down every day. How often did they have to go out and collect the manna? Once a day, except for the Lord's day. They couldn't collect a, a huge supply for the whole week. They had to go out every day. Let me tell you something. God, God, God has something special for you. God has more for you in Him. There is a closer walk and there's a closer talk with God. There's abundant life that God has for you and I. It's a life in the Spirit. There's power for your walk and talk in the Holy Spirit of God. There is more in God for you. But each day, each day, you need a fresh new supply. You need a fresh new supply. You're called to be God's channel of His Holy Spirit and not a reservoir. There's a fresh new supply that God is wanting you to receive every day. So I ask you, what is it? What is it that's often called fire in the belly? We talk about it in sports. We talk about it in, in the business world. What is it that'll keep you going through the down times, the tough times, times of adversity? What is it that will cause you to strive to be the best that you can be in any circumstance in life? What is it that will give you the fire for excellence, integrity in all that you do? God's answer for the problem of a mediocrity, write it down, is His enthusiasm. His enthusiasm. I, I've had so much fun researching, studying, this word that I've never preached on before, enthusiasm. The word enthusiasm, it comes from two Greek words. It's not a secular term. It's a very spiritual word. The word enthusiasm comes from the Greek, on theos, on theos, in God. Or enthusiasm means being inspired by God. Being possessed by the Spirit of God. God in you, you in Christ Jesus. Paul put it this way in Romans 12, 11, The New Living Translation, Never be lazy, but work hard. That doesn't mean work hard just at the ministry. It means work hard wherever you're at and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Now let's look at another translation, the Berean Study Bible. Do not become apathetic, but keep your spiritual fervor. Keep your spiritual fire, fire serving the Lord. How about the net translation? Do not lag in zeal. Be enthusiastic in spirit. Serve the Lord. Do those terms describe you? Are you aglow with the presence of God in your life? Are you on fire with enthusiasm? While mediocrity leads to unhappiness, while mediocrity will re make you repulsive to people, and cause you to be a failure. God's enthusiasm, a fire in your bones, will cause you to walk and talk with joy. It will draw people to you. They'll be attracted to you. And most especially, you'll become attractive to God and His blessings and His favor. Amen. Write it down with me. Wherever you are in life, make the most of it. Be the best you can be. What assignment has God given you? 
Do it with enthusiasm. Student, you've got a brand new school year ahead of you. Stop moaning and groaning about your grades of last year. And enter this new school year striving to be your best, do your best, to excel, to be a person of integrity. Be the first person sitting down in your class. Let your teacher see you as passionate. Let your teacher see you as one who's striving and desiring to excel and be the best that you possibly can be. Refuse to coast. Refuse to settle just for a passing grade. This year, this season, I'm going to be an A student. Strive for it. Set your goals high. Watch what God will do and how He'll honor you with that. Yes, employee, management person, business owner, when you drive to work on Tuesday morning, will you be on fire with enthusiasm? I challenge you. Well, pastor, I, I don't really like my job. I can't stand driving in the traffic, and I don't like the people I work around. Honey, sir, ma'am, you need to change your attitude. You need to have a, 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 an attitude adjustment. You should be grateful you even have a job. What do they call people that... Uh, day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out, who show up at work with no enthusiasm. What do they call them? Unemployed. <laughs> Duh. Duh. You need to appreciate and stay excited about the opportunities that God, God, yes, God, has placed in your hand. By the way, by the way, uh, where do you work? Who do you work for? Just, just call it out. Oh man, I got, I got all kinds of stereo. My, my, I, got all, I heard GM, Ford, Chrysler out there, and then, then the spiritual answer. Look with me in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Who do you work for? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for who? As working for who? Say it like a preacher. Working for who? Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Boy, get a hold of that. Some of you just work for the bonus. Some of you just work for performance pay, merit pay. Listen, my Bible says that if you will do it as unto the Lord, God's got a reward for you, an inheritance for you. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Pastor, I've never heard it put that way. I've never preached it this way. Refuse to give a half-hearted effort. Refuse to waste your company's time and your company's money. Remember, your work time is not Facebook time. I didn't get too many amens on that one. Remember, your work time is not Facebook time. It's not texting time. It's not Twitter time. You're on company time. Do it as unto the Lord. Refuse to give a half-hearted effort. Well, they don't pay me enough. I shouldn't have to work so hard. My kids, when I get with my kids over the holiday, they all mock that nasal tone that I'm just hearing right now, by the way. I will be hearing that again. They don't pay me enough. I, I shouldn't have to work very hard. You won't be blessed with that kind of attitude. God wants you to give it everything you've got. Be enthusiastic. Set an example for everyone in your office, your workplace, your classroom. 
Witness through your work example. Witness through your excellence. Witness through your, your integrity, your enthusiasm. Are you married? When was the last time you embraced your marriage with enthusiasm? When was the last time you embraced your marriage with a God-given zeal and a, a passion to be your best, to be the best marriage partner that your spouse could ever have? It's getting real quiet now. Hey, it, it doesn't matter if you're married to a deadbeat. It doesn't matter. Don't, 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 don't give me, don't wag your head and give me that excuse that he's a loser, that she's a loser. You're to do it under the Lord. Preacher, you got Bible for that? I sure do. You knew I would. Ephesians chapter 5, the classic marriage chapter in the Bible. And the first verse of that whole marriage chapter, submit to one another out of reverence for who? Christ. That means the Lord is watching. And you're to do all of your marital duties as unto the Lord. You are called to be other-centered. Anybody, any loser can live life for themselves. Any deadbeat can try to fulfill me, myself, and I. And you'll end up with a sour, loser attitude. But hear me in this. I'm giving you free marriage counseling this morning. If you'll wake up and go on a quest of intimacy... And go out on a date with your spouse. I mean, the date could be at, at, at Andiamo's. The date could be on, on your patio. And, and just spend some time. Uh, in this new season, honey, uh, of our lives and of our marriage, uh, let me know, what are your needs? How could I make you more happy? How could I bless you? Anybody can... Any child can put together a wish list for Santa Claus, for me, myself, and I. Identify the needs of your spouse. Now fulfill them. Well, he doesn't do anything. She doesn't do anything. They don't deserve it. Then give it to them on credit. You do everything else on credit. They might not deserve it. I agree with you. I've sat down and counseled with them. They are a loser. They are a deadbeat. <laughs> they don't deserve it. But there is one that will never let you down. There is one who is more faithful and will stick closer to you than any brother, the Bible says. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Lo, I am with you always. And he deserves your best. He deserves your enthusiasm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! You make an effort in this new season to bless your spouse like they've never been blessed. Oh, when they come to church, I can't wipe the smile off their face because they're so blessed because you're making them so happy. And what you sow, what you sow, and what you sow, you will... There it is. That's not my word. That's the spiritual principle of harvest. You stop trying to change him. You stop trying to change her. They are a special creation of God. 
You have not married the perfect person, neither have they. You let God change them. Some of you, some of you have difficult marital problems that you're camping out with. And you've been praying. And there's a reason why God hasn't brought the healing. There's a reason why God hasn't brought the miracle. Because you've been trying to play God. And you've been trying to change your spouse. You've been trying to do something that only God can do. You be obedient and enthusiastic before the Lord. You be a Bible wife, wives, sir. You be a Bible husband and live out your marriage as unto the Lord and do those things for your mate that you are called by God to do and leave the rest with God. You will then unleash Him to bring blessing, healing, the miraculous joy. He'll bring your marriage out of a love recession into prosperity and blessing and favor. And the honeymoon will return, I guarantee it, as you do it as unto the Lord. Amen. You haven't married the perfect spouse. Some of you, you got married because you wanted somebody to fulfill all of your needs. I sit down with you and one of my classic questions is, after you tell me all your problems, one of my classic questions is this, well, why did you get married? I wanted to be happy. Yeah, you thought he would make you happy. You thought she would make you happy. They're not designed to make you happy. There's only one that died upon the cross for you and I. There's only one who shed his blood. There's only one who rose from the grave shouting glory <laughs> and is sat down at the right hand of the Father. And that's not your spouse. His name is Jesus. Your spouse is not designed to be your Savior. Your spouse is not designed to be your Lord of Lords and King of Kings. They're not perfect and neither are you. There's only one who is meant to be your Messiah, your Savior, your Redeemer, your Prince of Peace. Stop trying to, to exact from your spouse that which you can only enjoy in Jesus. Hey, this is good preaching. Will you receive it? Will, will you believe it? Amen. Parent, has God blessed you with precious children? Do it with passion. Do it with enthusiasm. Refuse to, to have the idea, well, my friends have their careers. My, my friends are able to afford the toys and the cottages and, and all the stuff. And here I'm stuck every, every day with these rugrats. Raising rugrats. Can we talk? A parent's assignment is the most important assignment outside of salvation. It's the most powerful, awesome opportunity outside of your walk with God. You have been given, you have been given the grandest, most awesome opportunity to raise a soul that will live forever and ever and ever
You need to approach this task with awe and with the Lord's help and with the Lord's fire, the Lord's enthusiasm. Don't become weary in well-doing, the Bible says. For if you faint not, you will reap and reap in due season. I have had parent after parent or husband and wife, couple after couple in my ministry sit down with me and say, Pastor, Pastor, we would love to have children. Pastor, if we could only have children. Pastor, will you pray for a miracle that we can have children? Every time I have a parent complain to me about their child, I I let them know, sir, ma'am, I have had countless couples come into this office praying for a miracle. They'd give their right arm to be able to have a child. You've been given an awesome, glorious opportunity being a parent. Respect the Lord in this. Do it as unto the Lord. Keep up your enthusiasm. Fathers, be enthusiastic with your family. Be a provider. Be a promoter and not a provoker. Be a protector. Be a prophet. Be a priest. Be a patriarch. Be provisionary with them. Mothers, this Tuesday morning when you send your children to school for the first time, you send them out of your home every single morning with enough confidence to wrestle Hulk Hogan. With their heads held high, their shoulders square, representatives of Jesus Christ. The power of a parent who's enthusiastic. I take you to 1932, Dublin, Ireland. Where two parents had the birth of their son, Christy Brown. Usually a birth uh, is a cause for celebration. This birth initiated terrible, abject sorrow. Christy Brown was born with cerebral palsy, unable to walk, unable to talk. A total, absolute invalid. The doctors not only deemed him physically challenged, terribly physically handicapped, But in their own words, they deemed him mentally retarded. Mom refused to believe it. I said, Mom refused to believe it. She exercised enthusiasm every single day. She read to Christy. Every single day, she sang to Christy. She drew pictures uh, to Christy. Uh, she traced words with Christy at age five. At age five, where there for five years, no response whatsoever. Christy Brown's brother was drawing with a crayon on the floor and suddenly out of nowhere Christy Brown's left foot shot out and grabbed a crayon with the toes of his left foot and he began drawing with the crayon the house went crazy as for the first time mom proved all the doctors wrong 
Christy Brown's brain was whole and healthy as normal as anyone else, imprisoned in a body that would not work, yet he had just discovered the greatest joy in his life. He could control his left foot. Long story short, it's a classic in literature. It took him over 10 years to write it, but he wrote it. He wrote the classic literary work, Christy Brown, author of the book entitled, My Left Foot. <laughs> and went on to do another book, uh, an award-winning movie starring Daniel Day-Lewis has just been uh, released, My Left Foot. And it's not only of a young man that persevered with enthusiasm through unbelievable odds and tremendous difficulty, but a mommy, a mommy who refused to quit, a mommy who refused to throw in the towel. And by the way, the father did throw in the towel and gave the son up, but mommy would not. And she approached parenting with enthusiasm and took a little soul and changed his life forever because of her enthusiasm. Do you want your life to make an impact? You can change the atmosphere. Think of it, of your school, your workplace, your home life with the fire, God's fire, your enthusiasm. God's ultimate purpose, write it down with me, God's ultimate purpose in consuming us with the fire of His enthusiasm is for us to be His witnesses. For us to be His witnesses. I heard recently a story about a job site, construction site, that uh, we're trying to do around here and have a construction site, and I'm believing it. Join us next week, Sunday. I'm going to take you all out this center aisle. We're going to go on the walk of faith and make the walk of faith a real walk of faith. And we can do all of our planning and all of our strategizing and all of our budgets and all of our analyses, but when it comes down to it, we need to hear from God. We need God to move. We need God to, to, to be able to move our mountain as we speak to it. So I want you to join me on the walk of faith next week, Sunday. But there was a construction site home construction site where uh, the problem was not management, the problem was not money, the problem was not the workers, the problem was not the tools or the materials. The problem was the portageon. I mean, you, you put a lousy portageon with construction workers and you're going to hear about it. I mean, it wasn't being maintained. I don't want to get into the details or the grossness of it, but the smell was horrendous. Nobody wanted to use it. Nobody could use it. The company was not maintaining it. And finally, finally, the owner got on, on the phone, called the Portageon company, and they acted. They sent out a new man. Oh, they could hear the truck coming down the road. I, I mean, the music was blaring. That, that, uh, I mean, it, 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 was, it sounded to them like rock music. Coming down the road, out walks this big burly dude, long hair, tattoos all over him. And, Hi, guys. I'm from the Portageon company, and I apologize for the service that you've had. We've let that man go. I'm your man now. I am so sorry. Starting today, things are going to be different. 
He got into that small little cubicle of a porta john that smelled the high heaven, gross upon gross. They they heard him singing. They heard heard him whistling. I mean, that thing was shaking all over as he was cleaning it from stem to stern. All of a sudden, this beautiful, fragrant smell began to waft across the job site so different from what they had been working with for so long. Then, I mean, an hour later, he walked out and he's smiling all. The guys were perplexed. They said, how could you have a job like that and be so happy? How could you have a job like They looked inside. It was cleaner than their bathrooms at home. What is it with you? He said, there was a day that I died and a day that I came alive again in Christ Jesus. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't work for this company. I work for Jesus. And I do the best that I can do and all that I can do so that I may witness for Him who has never failed me or let me down. Wow! Let me tell you, those construction workers will never hear from a preacher, a missionary, an evangelist, or a pastor like me. But that Porta John guy, God opened the door for him to be an amazing witness. How was he able to witness? Through his excellence in work, through his enthusiasm. Will you be enthusiastic <laughs> as you begin a new season in your life? Amen. Today, with God's help, make the prayer your prayer. God, I take control of my life. Lord, set me on fire with your fire, your passion, your enthusiasm. Lastly, living and growing in God's enthusiasm. I want you to consider those who are enthusiastic in the Lord and what they accomplished. Enthusiasm is David. Harrison Ford in his movie, The Fugitive, wasn't the first fugitive. The first fugitive, the first fugitive was David. For 10 years in his career, for 10 years, David hid in caves. David ran here. David ran there. David was in hiding. Who was out to kill him? King Saul, filled with jealous rage, and David was innocent the whole time. And then at the end of his life, who chased him and wanted to kill him? Who wanted his throne at the end of his life? His own son, Absalom. Can you imagine guys that own companies, your son, coming after you to kill you, to take over the company? Yet in all that, with a load and a baggage of, a, of sins in his past, yet out of all that, David was able to pen these words through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. David was able to write, As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. David was able to get up in the morning and write this down. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. David was able to write, The Lord is my shepherd. And I shall not want. It's no wonder that God was able to look down at David and said, This is a man after my own heart. Because David lived with enthusiasm. Yes! How about Nehemiah? Nehemiah. Oh, uh, talk about construction projects. Nehemiah was called by God to rebuild what? 
the walls of Jerusalem. Walls, city walls in ancient times were a strategic measure taken by nations and cities. The enemies of Israel did not want that wall rebuilt. They wrote all kinds of hate mail about Nehemiah and sent them to the emperor. They made all kinds of false accusations. Nehemiah dealt with rejection and betrayal from without and from within. It got so bad that they were trying to kill him and hunt him down. The Bible says in the book of, you need to read the book of Nehemiah. It reads like a novel. In the book of Nehemiah, the Bible says it got so bad, so dangerous, that he didn't even have time to take a shower or take a bath and stayed in the same clothes for months on end, working at the wall. With a trowel in one hand and in the other hand, he had Pastor Hal what? A sword. Amen. Yes. And so did his workers. And he is the one, though, who said, The joy of the Lord is my strength. Now you know the rest of the story. Nehemiah lived with enthusiasm. How about the Apostle Paul? Did the Apostle Paul in his ministry have a tiptoe through the tulips? Huh? The Apostle Paul, sure. The Apostle Paul, the Bible says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, bandits, Jews, Gentiles, at the sea, in the sea, from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep, have known hunger and thirst, often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. But then Paul is able to say, we're hard-pressed on every side. We're not crushed. We're crushed, but not perplexed. We're not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. How could Paul be this way? The Bible says in Philippians 4, everywhere Paul said, in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's the source of enthusiasm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Los Angeles, Los Angeles was having a terrible problem at an, inter at an intersection. Because the traffic lights, traffic was being backed up for miles, but that was not the bad part. The worst part was people were losing it. They were having a problem of road rage time and time and time again. Then somebody came up with an answer. They said, we've got the answer. The answer is not a light, it's a man. The answer is not just any man, but this man. And they put a specific traffic policeman at the intersection instead of a traffic light. You say, oh, I bet you things got worse. No, this traffic policeman, as he directed traffic, he could do the moonwalk better than Michael Jackson. Uh-uh. I mean, people would go out of their way to come to that intersection and look at the entertainment. People would go out of, I mean, they would pull off to parking lots just to watch him because he approached his job. He approached his assignment in life with so much enthusiasm that he became attractive. 
attractive to the people round about him. This is what God is wanting to do to you. This is what God is wanting to do through you. He is wanting to make you shine among people. He's wanting, hallelujah, to shower you with his favor. Think of what Jesus did for you and I. Was Jesus enthusiastic? Jesus could have written the book, How I Became a Failure. Well, think about it. From the moment he was born, they called him illegitimate. The church of his day said that he was a heretic, he was a blasphemer, a glutton, a drunkard, and then last of all, they said he was demon-possessed. The state labeled him rebellious, a criminal, a rebel. His own disciples ran out on him. Peter denied him. Judas, his treasurer, betrayed him. And ultimately, he dies a shameful death upon the cross. Did Jesus do all of it half-heartedly? Did Jesus do all of it with all of those problems and all of those failings in the world's eyes? Did Jesus do it with a lack of joy? Listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hallelujah. What a Savior that we have. Hallelujah. Amen. He, he went the distance for you and I. Because of his enthusiasm. Real enthusiasm, write it down, is more than self-discipline. It's more than mental gymnastics or personality. Real enthusiasm is the fire of God's Spirit. This is where we come to the main text this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I am reminded, Paul said, of your sincere faith. Who is Paul talking to here? Timothy, his spiritual son. Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. What is Paul's admonition? Are you having a problem with enthusiasm at school, at work, in your marriage, and in your family? Are you, are you, are you needing more enthusiasm? Then listen to the word of the Lord. Fan into flame the Spirit of God which is in you. Stir it up. Stir it up. How can I do that, Pastor? Oh, that's our next point. Fill in the blank. You can fan into flame God's enthusiasm through thanksgiving. Some of you, some of you are going through life and, and you're constantly complaining about what you don't have. I don't have this. I don't have that. I come up and greet you and the first thing that comes out of your mouth, well, pastor, they found this. They got, I, they, you show me the spot and you show me the tumor and you show me the scar and, you know, don't stop doing that. I'm, I'm just, and it's, but it's complain, complain, complain. Stop. Stop complaining about what you don't have and start thanking God for what you do have. 
Start thanking God for America, for Michigan. Start thanking God for health. Uh, start thanking God that you can walk and you can talk. Start thanking God that you have a functioning brain. Start thanking God you have a roof over your head, clothes on your back, food on your table, people that love you, friends and family. Start thanking God and watch what happens to the enthusiasm level in your life. Hallelujah. There's a million people that want what you have. Stop complaining about what you are not. Comparisons kill. Listen, all that's gold doesn't glitter. The grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. Stop envying what that person is. And you start thanking God for who you are in Him. You're His creation. God doesn't sponsor flops. God doesn't manufacture junk. I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. Plans to prosper you, to give you a hope, and to give you a future. Not to harm you, but to give you a hope and to give you a future. This is God's focus upon you and I. Be thankful. Then next, you can fan into flame God's enthusiasm by refusing to settle for a life of mediocrity. Raise your level of expectancy. Some of you have been sitting in the rocking chair of life for too long. When was the last time you attempted anything for God? When was the last time you got out of your comfort zone, your cozy zone, and stepped up to the plate? You can't hit a home run unless you step up to the plate and risk something for God. I am so tired of giving opportunities for people to impact lives, to teach a class, to lead a ministry, to stand at the front door and just shake a hand and smile. I am so tired of people responding and saying, can't somebody else do it? You have, you're being given an awesome opportunity to touch lives in the name of Jesus. When will you get out of your comfort zone? And step up and step out for all that God has for you. To trust Him like you've never trusted Him before. I've grown up in Michigan. And I haven't been a fisherman my whole life. I'm trying at this season in my life to learn more how to be a better fisherman. But I can't break that cycle of just fishing with worms. That's the only way I know how to fish is to fish with worms. And, and I've never fished the Great Lakes. I've never fished in the ocean. Just, you know, little inland lakes and basically pan fishing. Bluegill, sunfish, perch. Uh, once in a while, if I'm lucky, I'll get a little bass. And the other day I was fishing and, and uh, uh, for the umpteenth time, those stupid little bluegill god bless their little hearts had stripped the worm off my hook i can't hook them i can't hook them just tiny things just nibbling away that's a whole sermon in itself stripping my hook and i'm pulling i'm reeling back that gold glittering golden hook sparkling hook back to the boat and, and then all of us whoosh i swear it was about the size of a stealth submarine. <laughs> I never realized 
there were fish that big in the lake where I'm fishing. Jordan, are you having a spiritual experience right now? I've heard that you're into fishing these days. It was huge. It was humongous. I thought to myself, dare I? Dare I? I took off my bobber. I took off the hook. I opened up that confusing tackle box <laughs> that my dad left me with all of these lures. I don't know what's for what. <laughs> I spotted this wiggly, squiggly, minnow, rubbery thing on a hook, and it's missing its tail. But I, know, I knew that it worked for my son Jonathan years ago. I put it on the line. Cast it out there. Because I heard you're supposed to do that. <laughs> and I'm reeling it back in. Nothing. I was going to give up. So did it again. Reeling back in. A little faster this time. Nothing. Did it again. Really, in the back. Boom! I've got Moby Dick on the line. I mean, I have never felt this before. This is a whole different story from the bluegill perch stuff. I'm in. I'm screaming. I'm going, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I was praying. Jesus, help me. It got so wild that I came unhooked to the anchor. I didn't care. I was hanging on. And I thought, oh Lord, oh Lord, I don't got a net. I don't got it. And I'm pulling, I'm pulling. And in, this, I'm seeing this sea serpent being brought in. This huge sea serpent. Uh, and I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Oh Lord, oh Lord, don't let my line break. And I pulled it in the boat. And it's floppy. It's trying to bite my leg. It's a giant pike. And, and, and I had my paddle and I pinned it down. I'm scared to death. I about turned the boat over and I'm immediately looking all around who's watching me on the lake <laughs> I got back left the anchor I, le I, I went back right away and I ran three doors down to a neighbor that I've never met before that has just moved in and I, I got a pike I got a pike I got my first pike and I had, I had work gloves on because I didn't want it to bite me. I mean, just like a giant snake. And uh, I said, here's my phone. Will you take a picture of me? I mean, there's nobody in my family that's ever got a pike. This is my first pike. And I thought he was kind of looking at me a little funny. And, uh, well, a picture is worth more than a thousand words. There's the man. There's the man. With my monster, my monster 22-inch pike. And, and the neighbor, the neighbor was making the same expression Jordan Waggy's making right now. Yeah, that's not that big. To me, I mean, then I called Jonathan. And, 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 and Jonathan, I said, 
I bet you you've never caught my son Jonathan. I bet you you've never called, uh, caught a pike. He said, I've caught a bunch of them. He said, they're all over 36 inches when I catch them. And, and, and then he just sent me a text last night. He said, the next time you catch a monster pike, send me a picture again. You can take that off right now. <laughs> Honey, sir, ma'am. How long have you been sitting in your easy armchair of your comfort cozy zone and God is calling you to a new level of expectancy in Him? God is calling you to a new walk of faith in Him. God is calling you to step out of your comfort zone and be a bold witness this year at school for Him. God is calling you to be a bold, bold shining light in your marriage to shine in the darkness at work. God is calling you to trust Him for more, to believe Him for more, to step on out and risk, uh, do something radical, do something risky, and watch what God will do. Expect great things from God and watch for God to do great things. Do you see it? Lastly, this morning, fill in the blank with us and I'll, I'll shut up. God's enthusiasm is enjoyed and maintained by pressing, pressing, pressing into His presence. Would you stand with me? Precious Jesus. Moses had been on the mountaintop for how many days and nights? I asked, Moses had been on the mountaintop for how many days and nights? Forty days. Forty nights without what? Food. Without water. After forty days and nights, what would you be asking? What would you be asking for? Pizza, Taco Bell, Whopper. At the end of 40 days and 40 nights, as Moses is in the presence of God, Moses' one request was this Show me, show me your glory. I want to see your glory. I want to experience your glory. God said to Moses, no one can see my face and live. But I will take you and put you in the cleft of the rock. I will shelter you and protect you with my hand. And as I pass by, I will remove my hand and I will allow you to see the afterglow of my glory. And so God passed by. He protected Moses in the shelter of his hand in the cleft of the rock. 
And as God passed by and the roaring fire of his glory seared the mountainside, he removed his hand and Moses experienced the afterglow of the holy glory of God and was forever changed. When Moses came down off the mountain, the people could not even bear to look upon his face because his face, what? It glowed, it shined with the glory of God, the fire of God. You go to school, you go to work, that what? with people that want to see the glory can they see the glory people are desperate today for the glory our world is going crazy who are they going to jail next you watch they're going to come for me they're going to come for you next I sometimes wonder if we're already in the tribulation can they see the glory can they see the glory? Can they see the enthusiasm? Are they able to hear you say, Hey, I'm on fire. I'm on fire for Jesus. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus this morning. And Lord, we recognize that there is a fire, the fire of God, your spirit, that Lord, you want to place, Lord, in all of us, Lord, you want to change our work habits, our study habits, our home habits. Lord, you want to change us from the inside out. And Lord, we know it begins with Jesus. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed here this morning. How many, how many would say, Pastor, Pastor, I want the glory. I want the fire. I want... The spirit of enthusiasm in me. Pastor, I know it begins with Jesus. Pastor, I'm not sure I'm right with God and I want to be. I'm not sure that heaven is my home and I want to be certain. If that's you, I'm prepared to pray a prayer. A prayer that will make you right with God. If you want to be included in this prayer, just... Just lift up your hand right now. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. No one is looking around. Would you lift it up for God right now? If that's you, lift it up high that I can see it. Amen. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, ma'am. How many more? How many more? Lift it up. God bless you. God bless you. How many more? I choose Jesus. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, I see that hand. How many more this morning? God bless you. God bless you. Yes. Lift it up high. It's a sign of your faith. Lord, I want all that you have for me. I want Jesus. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Keep those hands up. I want everyone to pray this prayer, especially you that have lifted up your hands. Pray it out loud with me right now. Dear Jesus, I come to you confessing I am a sinner. But Jesus, you're my Savior. Save me from my sin. Save me from hell. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A new life. 
a changed life. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me, for saving me, for giving me a home in heaven. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. I receive it as I believe it. Amen. You may put those hands down. Sing that chorus with us right now. Sing it with the praise team. We are here to worship you.